0: I'm really used to saying good morning, happy Sabbath, um, but today I'll go good afternoon and happy Sabbath. Uh, yes, my name is Josh, and I am a, a pastor at the Denyong Polish, Winterna Polish, and I'm also a, a chaplain out at Heritage College as well, and I, I love what I do. And it's a pleasure to be here with you this afternoon. Um, now, something about me when I do a sermon, I like to be interactive. I like to ask questions, so I'm going to be looking for some, some some feedback from you today. So don't be scared; it's fun, and we're going to have fun on this journey together. But I want to ask with a question. I want to start with a question. What was your favorite TV show growing up? What do we have? Spider-Man. Spider-Man. What else we got? What else? Friends? Friends is a good TV show. Any others? Zach, what's your favourite TV show? He's not sure. I want to say, does anyone, um, what's this TV show? Jetsons. Jetsons, did anyone watch this show? Yes, what was this show about? It was about the future. It was. There was before the Jetsons. There was usually the Flintstones was on, which depicted the past, and then afterwards come the Jetsons, which depicted the future. Does anyone know what year it was set in? 2000. It is 2000 and something. 2050. We're close. It's set in the year 2062. So well, about 40 years from now. And it was actually first developed in the 1960s. And people in the 1960s were taking a guess of what the world might look like 100 years from now. And so they came up with the Jetsons. Really cool show. And some of the stuff that is in this show has actually come true. Did you know? Yes, we have house cleaning robots. They might not talk like in the show, but we have robots that can clean the house. Uh, we have tanning beds, touch screens. We all got one. Video chat. And FaceTime is great but there's a lot of things that haven't happened, like we don't have flying cars and we can't go travel to planets, um, and so we're still a long way off from that. But get this. I start with this because do you know what the craziest thing between our world and the Jetsons' world was? The craziest thing that I think between the two worlds was the amount of work people did. See, in Orbit City, the world of the Jetsons, the average citizen, get this, They worked nine hours a week. Anyone like to work nine hours a week? Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I actually have a quote from the show here. Yesterday I worked two full hours, George complains. His wife Jane is appalled. What does Spacely think he's running? A sweatshop? And we laugh at this. It sounds ridiculous. Some of us work nine, ten hour days. We work some really long days. But the interesting thing was that in the nineteen sixties, futurists, politicians, writers, they all thought the same thing. They said that in the future, the problem that we're gonna face is 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 we're gonna to have too much time on our hands. Because we're creating all this technology, we're creating all these devices, they're just gonna save us so much time, like the washing machine and the dishwasher and, and then the modern computer. These things are so great and so fantastic. We're gonna work way less. What are we going to do with all that time? In fact, one subcommittee in America said that by 1985, the average American would only work 22 hours a week for 27 weeks a year. The problem is going to be leisure. But we look at our world today. Has that happened? No, in, in fact, the opposite has happened, right? On average, we are working four more weeks per year than what we did in 1979. Uh, A Harvard Business School study has shown that thanks to modern technology, professionals now spend 80 to 90 hours a week either working or monitoring work. And a Korean research study found that because of the smartphone, the average employee works 11 more hours per week. We're really busy people. See, have you ever responded to someone? They say, hey, how are you? And you go, I'm good, but I'm busy. Anyone responded like that before? Oh, yeah. And all sorts of people do it. Like no matter what profession, no matter what you do, it's a common response. I'm good. I'm great. I'm just busy. A lot of us are busy people. And busyness can be a good thing. It means we have stuff on. But it can also be a bad thing. Because the only way that we keep up is to to cram more in and, and maybe even sleep less. But do you ever find yourself overloaded? Busy, overwhelmed, even too much to do. That's why, like, lockdown was almost a relief at sometimes because you're like, "Oh, I don't have to do all those things anymore." What do we do with busyness? What do we do when we're overwhelmed? You know, there's this quote that I love. It says, "You know, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy." And I love that little quote because I think there's a lot of truth in it because it's often in those moments when I'm in a rush, it's often those moments when I'm in a hurry. It's those moments when I'm least like, Je- when I'm just trying to get my keys and my phone and get out the door as quick as I am because I'm late and people are asking for my attention and I'm rude and I'm mean and I'm very much not like Jesus. Or if I'm, I'm stuck in traffic and I'm late, oh, I'm not very happy. Yet we read in scripture, hurry and love are incompatible things. Paul, in the letter to Corinthians, he writes, he doesn't say love is love is in a rush or love is quick. What does he write? He says love is patient. Love is patient. Or we read in the Old Testament, these characters, we don't read about them running. We don't read about them sprinting with God. We read about them walking with God. And see, there seems to be a pace to this journey, to this life that we're to live with God there 's this quote, which is the title of this sermon it 's actually the title of a book that is a fantastic book, by the way, which I highly recommend the ruthless Elimination of hurry and the way this quote came about was was there 's a pastor in the u s his name's John ortberg, and he was beginning to grow in his ministry his his church was growing they they had multiple services, and great, but he found that he was he was dying on the inside, and it was getting too much and he find look, he was, he was asking his mentor, Dallas Willard, like, how do I survive? How do I thrive? How do I be the pastor God had called me to be? And, and Dallas Willard responded with this, this quote. He said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. There is nothing else. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. And you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And it's a challenging and, and sobering thought that, that hurry plays a massive problem in, in our life, and, and especially in our spiritual walk, in our, in our journey with God. So what do we do with busyness? There's a study that, that found this in regards to the Christian walk and busyness. It found that this, and it, it may be the case that Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload which leads to God becoming more marginalized in Christians' lives, which leads to a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which leads to more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. And in a sense, it seems to be this never-ending cycle. We're so busy, therefore we can't spend time with God, therefore we grow far away from God, and we keep adopting assumptions that makes us even more busy in life. The number one problem you and I face is time. How do we spend our time? What do we do with our time? What do we give our time and attention to? You know, we all get 24 hours every single day. We all get 1,440 minutes every single day. No more, no less. How do you spend them? Different things that you might give your time attention to. Maybe you resonate with this list. Maybe you don't. Where does your time go throughout the day? Where does your time go throughout the week? How do you spend your time? I'm going to ask, does anyone like to read books in here? Yeah, we've got, a, we've got a couple of book readers. How many books do you reckon you could read a year? One a week? Awesome, one a week, fantastic. Alright, ten years ago, how many could you read ten years ago? A year? Yeah, awesome. Ready, they say this, this is a stat that came up. An average person can read at 200 to 400 words per minute. And if you follow that, you can read a, a, a normal-sized book. In a, a normal-sized book, you can read 200 of them a year in just 417 hours. Now, you look at that, and you're like, 417 hours, that's more than an hour every single day. I don't think I can do that because that's a lot of time. But ready? I'm going to compare it with some things. Anyone here on social media? Few of us. How many, How much time do you think the average person spends on social media a year? Too much? <laughs> Put a number on it. A year. A thousand? A thousand? Good guess. Any other guesses? Twelve hundred? 705. So the average person spends 705 hours a year on social media. They say the average person spends 350 minutes a week on Facebook, which is 50 minutes a day. If you have multiple social media platforms, that adds up to a lot of time. Okay. Anyone a fan of, uh, like Netflix? How much time do you think the average person spends watching Netflix? It's more than the social media one. 1,200? Try doubling it. (laughs) And add some more. 2,737.5 hours. Many, many, and many of us binge watch seasons in a day. They, the Reed Hastings, the CEO, actually said, our biggest competitor isn't another service, it's your sleep. Because they want want to keep you up as as long as possible, consuming your attention and your, your conscious attention. i got another one here. This one's an interesting one. Maybe this is not you, but maybe, you know, kids that are addicted to video games. How much time do you think the average person spends playing video games a year? Again, too much. This study found that by age 21, the average male, the average guy, had spent 10,000 hours on video games. Shocking. But 10,000 hours is a really important number because they say that you can become a master of something if you dedicate 10,000 hours to that. You know, we could become a master at, you know, woodworking. We could become a master, I don't know, playing the piano. We could become a master at a sport. Instead, some of us are masters at Call of Duty. What do we spend our time with? What do we give our time and attention to? Because what we give our time and attention to shapes us, influences us. The things that we see on social media, it's algorithms designed to to keep our attention. How many of us have have a smartphone in here? All of us? All right, how many times a day do you think you touch your smartphone? What was that? Twenty-four. But yeah, give me a give me a number for how many touch touches. What do we think? Have we got any guesses? Two hundred? Way more. Way more. More. Three. We're getting close. 2,617 times a day. And that's because touching, texting, scrolling, it adds up. And this is a study for like all iPhone users here. When it's like my age bracket, it's like double, triple that number. <laughs> We're on our phones a lot. Did anyone ever watch uh, The Social Dilemma on Netflix when it came out a couple years ago? or there's a book called Digital Minimalism, also fantastic. But a few of the people interviewed on the show were some of the key designers behind these apps and behind these devices, and they're now coming out and rallying against it, saying things like they're designed for addiction, they're designed to, to take your conscious attention. One, one even calls them a digital slot machines in your pocket, and a slot machine works not by taking big amounts of money, but by taking small amounts, and the small amounts add up. And see, for us, it's a 10-minute scroll here, a 10-minute scroll there, 15 here. And before you know it, it's, it's added up. Do you ever get a um, a screen report iPhone uses on a Sunday morning, and you're like, oh, I'm scared to look at that. What's it going to tell me this week? How much time do we spend on our phone? See, I can be in a room full of people. I can be in a room full of my friends having real conversation, but then I just get this urge. I get this compulsion. Check your phone. Look at your phone. And I'm like, I'm with real people and I, I'm having this internal wrestle within myself, but it has this, this pull to it. Or has anyone ever, you know, they had their phone in their pocket and they're like, Oh man, I, I felt, I felt a buzz and you got to look at it and you're like, I, I swear there's a notification and then there's no notification. There's actually a, um, it's actually called phantom vibration syndrome. Your brain has grown so dependent on the feeling that sometimes it makes up the feeling just for you to go and check your phone. We touch our phones a lot, and I came across this thought that really challenged me that what if God touched our minds as much as we touched our phones? It was a really sobering thought. What if God touched my mind as much as I touched my phone? And then it came to me, do I let it? Do I give him the time and the space to do so? And often the answer is no, I don't give him that time. I don't give him that space. I would say and I would argue that a lot of us are actually addicted to our phones. We're addicted to our devices. And see, Tony Schwartz here, he defines addiction as this. Addiction is the relentless pull to a substance or an activity that becomes so compulsive it ultimately interferes with everyday life. By that definition, nearly everyone I know is addicted, in some measure, to the internet. Just try going 24 hours without your phone and and see how you feel by the end of it. And so again, I ask, what do we do with our time? Where are we spending our time? What are we allowing to shape and influence us? I love this in the book of Romans where it says, don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to Him. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. What are we allowing to shape us? What are we allowing to influence our thoughts and our views and our understanding and outlook on the world? The point I'm trying to drive is that many of us spend hours every day filling our minds with lies, cutting off our minds from God's spirit and truth. And at best, we only give Him a few moments in the morning or in the evening, filling it with the words of Scripture. You know, I'd almost argue that the devil is, is far more likely to show up in my iPhone notification than anything else. Cause it's in those moments when I'm trying to pray and I hear the ding go off and I'm like, oh, I've just got to go check it. Or I'm trying to, trying to read my Bible and I feel my phone buzz and I just, oh, do I keep reading scripture? Do I go to my phone? And, and I'm torn. What do you give your time and attention to? I came across some quotes that really challenged me and really encouraged me. Let's say this. Oh, yeah. I love this one. We are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. We are more busy than bad. We are just more distracted than non-spiritual. And we are more interested in the movie theater, the sports stadium, and the shopping mall and the fantasy life they produce in us than we are the church. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major roadblocks today within our spiritual life. John Altberg writes, For many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith. It is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living them. What sort of life do you want to live? What sort of life do you want? Do you want a well-lived life? Or how do you spend your time? See, we become what we give our time and attention to. So where is our time and attention going? You know, we're distracted. We're in a rush. We're busy. How do we orientate our life around what really matters? What does it look like to orient, orientate our life around the life of Jesus? And so in the next few moments, I just want to look at the life of Jesus and what it looks like to take that as a template for our own. See, because when I immerse myself in the stories of Scripture and especially in the life of Jesus, I read that he was never in a rush. I sort of see him as this really calm figure. He's not frazzled by anything. You know, people are calling for his attention. People are, people are demanding his attention, but Jesus takes intentionality behind how he spends time. And so I just want to look at Jesus for a moment. And there are lots of ways and words that we can use to describe Jesus, but one thing that Jesus was is that Jesus was a rabbi. What's a rabbi? A rabbi was the teacher, a teacher of the law. And a few things to note as a rabbi is that a rabbi had what was called a yoke. And a yoke was this. A yoke was actually a farming tool. And this yoke was used to tie two animals together. And often it was a younger ox with an older ox. And the younger ox would be tied to the older ox and it would be shown how to do the work. And it would be doing the heavy lifting, and often the older ox would be doing the heavy lifting, showing the younger ox how it's done. And they're tied together, so they're carrying the load together. And when a rabbi said he had a yoke, his yoke was his set of teachings on the Torah, on how to live life, on how to live out the words in Scripture. And every rabbi had had a sort of different interpretation. And so when you take a rabbi's yoke, You're taking their interpretation on the Torah and and tying yourself to it to live life. And see, Jesus, what he says, he says that he has an easy yoke that we're to tie ourselves to on how to live life. And so I want to look at my favorite invitation by Jesus that, that speaks to this. One of my favorite scriptures comes from Matthew chapter 11. I'm just going to read it in two translations. It says this. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A beautiful passage. But again, I love how it's written here in the message. Are you tired? Sometimes. Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I will show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't let anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Do you resonate with the words that Jesus says here? I definitely do at times. Do you feel tired and worn out, burdened at times? If so, you're not alone. I love the invitation. Jesus is inviting us to take up the easy yoke. He has a way to live life that is different to how the world lives life. See, for me, Jesus is not just a set of ideas or what we call theology. It's not just a set of ethics doing the right thing and the wrong thing. Jesus is a way of life. Jesus gives us a different lifestyle on how to live life in our world. My favorite commentary on this passage comes from a from, a, from an old author. His name is Frederick Dale, and he writes this. A yoke is a work instrument. Thus, when Jesus offers yoke, a, a yoke, he offers what we might think tired workers need least. Tired workers need a mattress. Tired workers need a vacation, not a yoke. But Jesus realizes the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way to carry life, a fresh way to bear responsibilities. Realism sees that life is a succession of burdens. We cannot get away from them. Thus, instead of offering escape, Jesus offers equipment. Jesus means that obedience to his Sermon on the Mount Or his yoke will develop us in a balance and a way of carrying life that will give more rest than the way we have been living. I love that thought. That that following Jesus, it's not just a it's not just an idea, but it's actually a way of life. Does does following Jesus make a difference in our day to day? Does following Jesus actually cause me to live differently throughout my week? Or do I operate like everyone else in the world around me? See, if I was to put it differently, say I told you guys I want to become a runner and I'm actually going to, I'm going to go and I'm going to run a marathon. And I tell you guys, but then I do absolutely nothing about it. I don't train. I don't up, I don't uptake the lifestyle of running. So I don't train. I don't eat better. In fact, I, I am lazy and I just, I spend 2,000 hours on Netflix throughout the year rather than, than training. Am I going to be able to run a marathon? Probably not. I might start, but I'm definitely not going to get to the end. Because I haven't taken up the lifestyle associated with running and running marathons, which includes training and eating better and, and and changing the way I live so that I can become a runner. What does it look like to live as if Jesus were here? What does it look like to operate as if Jesus were here? How did Jesus live his life? And how can we apply that into our own life? I love it that, that Jesus, when called for, he didn't rush. You know, the sisters asked, come, Lazarus is dying. And he took his time. He came when he had to. He took his time with Jairus as well. He was fiercely present. Jesus didn't allow anything to rush him from one moment to the next. Jesus, I read, was constantly interrupted by people. And when I'm interrupted, I get annoyed. But I don't read about Jesus getting annoyed. I constantly read about Jesus taking time to get away, to inject a bit of margin into his life. His schedule was full, but he made time for what was important. I constantly read about Jesus sitting down for long meals with friends. I even read about Jesus having a nap. And who doesn't want to have a nap in their life? Now, a couple of verses that I love, that I think are so important. Well, throughout the Gospels, we can see snippets of this. Like in Mark 1, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And you read this, Mark 1. It's Jesus' first day on the scene. Massive day of ministry. He's been teaching. He's been healing. He's called a few people. He's had a big day. When I've had a big day, I just want to sleep, sleep in, go have brunch, and that's my way of resting. But Jesus here, first thing he does, he gets up to pray, to reconnect. On Mark 6.31, he said to them, the disciples, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And so he's teaching the disciples that what's important, it's not this busy pace, but taking time to be with the Father. Or in Mark 6, 46, after leaving them, he went on a mountainside to pray. Well, lastly, in Luke 5, 16, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places. Love that. Jesus often withdrew. And in Luke, he gets busier and busier, and the more time he takes away. Yet for me, when life starts to get busy, when there's a lot on, maybe the first thing to go is often that devotional time. It's often that prayer time. Oh, I can get to it later. I'll do it at the end of the day, and the end of the day comes, and I haven't done it. What would it look like to live as if Jesus were here? The reality is we do have busy lives. Most of us are too busy to follow Jesus. We have all sorts of things going on in our life. I get it. We saw the list before. But how much time do you spend watching TV? How much time do you spend online? How much time do you spend shopping? If I was to challenge you, I would say keep a time log for a week. Look at how you spend your time every day. You'll be surprised with what turns out. I was reading a book about Benjamin Franklin, and he was someone who was so productive at his time. But he was challenged at one point. People said, you're, you're missing the important things. And he got annoyed at that comment. So he actually, he went and he kept his own time log. Things that he did that were of importance and things that were of not importance. And I think there was a third thing as well, some importance. And he actually realized that he actually spent a lot of time on things that weren't important. Even though he was a productive man, he spent a lot of time, he even found that he did useless things at times. And if we're honest, we're going to find that, that we often do that with our time as well. Because most of us have more than enough time to work with, even in the busy seasons of life. We just have to reallocate our time to seek first the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of entertainment. Jesus wants to build a relationship with us. Relationships take time, effort, and energy. All of our relationships do. Relationships with our family, relationships with our friends, relationships with our partner. So i got this here. It says, let's say your marriage is less than ideal. Your spouse comes to you and asks for more time together, simply to enjoy each other and get back on the same page. He or she asks for for one date night a week, 30 minutes a day of conversation, and a little time on the weekends, basically the bare minimum for a healthy marriage. If you say, sorry, I don't have the time, all while giving 30 hours a week to things like TV and the Internet, anybody will say, yes, you do. You're just wasting your time. You just haven't allocated it properly. Our relationships with each other take time. Our relationship with God takes time too. Are we giving God the time? Are we giving God the space? And so I want to leave you with some practical things. For me, I have to put the phone at the other end of the house some days, just so I can get 10, 15, 20 minutes to myself reading scripture and praying. For me, I've even had to delete apps at times. Right now, I've deleted both Facebook and Instagram because I spend way too much time on it. And so they're off my phone, and I'm trying to reallocate and reprioritize my time. You know, we as Adventists, we, we practice the Sabbath and it's awesome. We, we stop working and, and we put the studies away and all of that. But I've actually read about people and I've been impressed and challenged by it as well. They take a digital Sabbath where they, they lock their phone away. They lock their laptop away. They lock all technology away and they're, they're free of it for 24 hours. It sounds challenging, but it also sounds refreshing too. Maybe we can even try. Switching off technology an hour earlier. Maybe we can make it not the first thing we turn to in the morning. Learn to put away the distractions. It can be really hard at first, but it's rewarding in the wrong one. See, we are called to follow God. We are called to build a relationship with God. Our world is full of distractions. Full of things that seek to take us away from Jesus. We have a God who wants to get to know us. The question becomes, do we want to get to know him? And what are we willing to do to make it happen? So those are the thoughts I want to leave you with. Let me just wrap up in a prayer. Lord, we, uh, we thank you for today. Thank you that we can come here, that we can gather, that we can learn, laugh, and we can hear your word as well. And I just want to pray that each and every one of us, myself included, that we can learn to put away the distractions. Learn to to put away the things that seek to take us away from you. And may we be fully present before you. Pray that each and every one of us can can grow in our journey with you. That we can become the people you want us to become. So fill us with your grace. Fill us with your love. May we walk out of here different to how we walked in because we encountered you today. That is my prayer. In your name I pray. Amen.